monsters, madness, and magic. I need a weapon. Boils and ghouls, this is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I'm your host, Justin, joined by my co-host, Mitch. Say hello, Mitchell. Hello, Mitchell. This afternoon, we're joined by a very special guest, disc jockey and voice actor known for his role as Master Chief in the Halo franchise, Mr. Steve Down. Steve, how the hell are you doing? I'm doing all right there, Justin. How are you guys doing? Doing good. It's a pleasure to have well. you. Yeah, good to be had. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, take us back in time. But when you were a youngster, what sort of films, comics, or books mm. were you into? What kind of shaped your imagination? Well, I think probably, you know, sort of the standard fare, I think, for, for that time. Uh, you know, I was into, you know, all the, the superheroes of the day, you know, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, you know, all that kind of thing. And just, you know, devoured the, uh, I, I have fond memories of being in the barbershop and just devouring the stack of comic books that the guy would have. And that's where I get all, you know, caught up and all. And, and he had mostly DC for whatever. I, I don't know if he was a DC guy, but that's mostly what was there and uh, vivid memories of doing that. But, and and then as I got older, I think, it, I mean, it wasn't a great leap to go from that to like science fiction. And, and that's where uh, science fiction, primarily fantasy a little bit, but mainly science fiction. And, uh, you know, really got into that in my, teen years and you know kind of stayed with me ever since what kind of movies were you watching back then well the one that rocked my world was 2001 a space odyssey and to this day i mean i've probably watched that film more than i've watched any other uh, cinema ever and i never get tired of it which probably blows some people away because you know i i i appreciate that it can be a you know sort of a long dirge yeah. It's a slow, it's a slow burn. It's a slow burn for sure, but I loved it. And I loved it from the, the very, again, I can remember being in the theater in 1968 with my girlfriend at the time and just having the top of my head blown off. And, you know, the amazing thing is that, you know, and I, I think I'm in good company with that film because if you watch it today, now, you know, that movie was made over 50 years ago and it still holds up visually special effects wise and what and what kubrick was working with it you know back in those days they didn't have all the computer simulation stuff that that you know i mean he was you know flying off of models and uh animation basically right and if you watch it today it'll stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with anything that's out there that's that's current which i think you know there's not too many films of any genre that you can say that you know just from a camera and visual effects point of view i'm not sure that there's any other movies you could say that about other than 2001 and you know it was the first film that really took science fiction out of the space cowboy genre into a serious 
you know, look at extraterrestrial life and all that kind of thing. And uh, man, I just, I, I loved it. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that was the first movie I ever saw, but it was the first movie that, that, that changed my world. Right, <laughs> Let's put right. it that way. You know, that would definitely have been my second guess. I would have guessed alien. Well, alien was of course after that. And I, and, and that was another one that was, you know, I loved the, uh, you know, the first two, I think it kind of petered out after that, but, but the first two movies were, you know, I sort of put those the the alien films and the, the science fiction slash horror mm. uh, genre but yeah i mean it would they, they were the the first two or i would certainly put in my top 10 if not my top five favorite science fiction films yeah so, i would say alien in 2001 would be great choices for that yeah <laughs> you know, it's like the two two of the heaviest hitters for science fiction yeah yeah to be able to tell a story like that and and do it in such a captivating way yeah you know says a lot about the filmmakers certainly just rewatched that movie probably about two months ago as like an adult which one I, alien uh, no 2001. Oh, 2001 i had tried to watch that when i was like 13 and i mean obviously yeah, it that'd was be rough way <laughs> over my head i was like this is two and a half hours where like absolutely nothing happened <laughs> this is i watched it two, a couple months ago yeah. and i was like oh i was just dumb okay yeah. that's what it was <laughs> you, know, you were just 13 that's all yeah <laughs> you're just 13 this is way above my pay grade then yeah, so. i hear you i hear you so steve was radio something you always wanted to do from an early age how'd you get your well you know yes and no i again you know one of my earliest memories you know my parents bought us uh that you know, bought the family a reel-to-reel tape recorder back in the 60s and that was you know somewhat of an unusual item to have around the house you know and i and i to this day i'm not sure why they did but we had this this you know i suppose somewhat primitive reel-to-reel tape recorder anyway i remember my sister and i would goof around on it we could re, you know record ourselves and things like that and and one of the things that i did you know i remember doing was i was i would play a disc jockey mm-hmm. and my sister would sing the jingles <laughs> she would be do, do the jingle stuff and i would be the disc jockey so you know i never really uh, back then i mean i was pretty young then i and i didn't really think of it in terms of wow this is something i'd really like to do for a career it was just sort of a you know we had this cool little toy to play with and you know i if you guys i bet you both of you can probably remember the first time you ever heard your own voice played back to you on tape and it's always sort of a shock you know to hear your own voice and think I, that's not what i sound like well it is but i i don't re- i don't think i thought of it in terms of i this is something I want to do as a career. My focus really from the time I was an early teenager was music was, uh, you know, primarily rock and roll. And the disc jockey thing sort of came as an outgrowth of that rather than me wanting to be a radio star. I, I didn't have any real vision of that. What I did have a vision of, you know, what I wanted to be was a rock and roll star. <laughs> <laughs> well, that didn't happen, but being in radio was a way to be able to, to, you know, make your living being close to music. And, and so that was sort of, to me was sort of the next best thing. And, and that's how that came about. You still made it on the radio, just in a little bit of a different way. Just a different sort of a way. Yeah. yeah right. Instead of, uh, you know, being the guy you were playing, I, you know, I was the guy that was playing them. But, uh, and, you know, when I first got into it, I was in college actually. And I, um, again, I, I wanted to do something that involved music. And I was a drummer in a rock band at the time. And I didn't, you know, I had a rare come to Jesus moment that maybe being a drummer in a rock band was not a real secure career move. 
It's not a uh, personal experience. I'm going to tell you it's not. <laughs> there you go. I mean, uh, you know, I've seen Spinal Tap. You've seen Spinal Tap. It doesn't end well for the drummer. It never does. So at, at that point, it was, like, well, what am, you know, this is the one thing that lights me up. And radio, so, so I thought I wanted to get into music production. And radio w- was really the only, you know, there were two avenues to do that. One was maybe to get, you know, get yourself involved with the radio station. And another was to grab a broom and go in and sweep the recording studio floor, you know, and, and you know, kind of work your way up from there. So I, that was my, you know, my in, I thought, to the production, uh, music production business was through radio. Well, once I got into radio and once I got on the air, you know, the ham in me took over and it was, I never looked back. You know, I stayed in, in radio as an on-air person, although still doing production. And I used to do a lot of production, but, uh, you, you know, I, I just, I never got off the air once I got on. So <laughs> it, was, it was the world's longest air shift. You, know? <laughs> you said your primary focus was rock music back then. What were you jamming? Well, it started with the Beatles. It, well, it really started with Elvis. You know, when he came out and he was on the Ed Sullivan show, I was like, I, I got to get myself a guitar. So my mom, you know, got me a guitar, got me lessons that lasted for about a year. And I got bored and quit. A couple of years later, the Beatles came on Ed Sullivan. Again, that was literally a life-changing moment because, my again, my mind was blown. I already had the guitar. So I was like, cool you know i you know i can get those girls to scream for me just like those guys you know and i started taking lessons again and and you know ended up being in a rock band in one sort of or, or another from the time i was 13 until i graduated college all, all the beatlemania stuff and then from there it went to you know i think my leanings started to go towards kind of progressive rock type of things and yeah and just and and stayed with it you know but it started really with the beatles and then and then uh and all, all the little branches that came off of that i'm looking here correct me if i'm wrong but it seems like a lot of your radio time you were based in la well i started in i, I went to school in dayton ohio and i worked the, my very first on-air thing was with the college radio station and then from there i graduated and went to a little tiny town called athens ohio uh, and went to work for a station there the end our motto at that station was we're the only radio station in town <laughs> so if you're going to listen to the radio you got to listen to us. <laughs> there ain't nothing else. And then from there, I went, I was at two years there. Then I went to, uh, you know, Pittsburgh, which was my, my first big market. And I was in Pittsburgh for about four years. And I went out to LA the end of the seventies, uh, the end of 1978 and was there till 91 and then had a little side trip back down to Florida for a couple of years, then went back to LA and stayed on the West Coast for a few more years until I ended up in Chicago in 97. And that's where I finished out my radio career. It just seems like LA would be a, a great place for a radio personality to yeah. make base. There's a lot of hubbub going on there. Is that fair to say? It was great. Yeah. Um, and that's really where I got my start in voiceover was in LA because the, the, the voiceover market certainly then maybe to a lesser degree now, but, but uh, certainly then was that you, you would, there were two places you could be New York or Los Angeles and maybe Chicago, but, but it was really New York and LA. And, you know, I got into the voiceover end of things again, through my interest in 
production, I started producing my own commercials for people. And then I would also voice them because, well, I, I came cheap. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I, so and, and then, for, you know, then I really started to get into the voiceover end of it. And I found that I was a better voiceover than I was a producer. So got an agent and, uh, and you know, did mostly uh, commercial voiceover in LA. Yeah, that's where I started that and, and uh, still do it to this day. Yeah, I was going to say, because recently we spoke to Cal Haybear and Larry Kenny, both mm. uh, voice actors, and they were yeah. both radio personalities like yourself. So I guess I'm just asking, would you say that radio in general is a good starting point for voice acting? Potentially? You know, it's interesting, Justin, because yet uh, my answer to that is yes and no, because see, I never left radio. I, re I mean, I retired from full-time radio in 2015, but I, I never left it. So it was, you know, mainly because it was a steady paycheck, you know, and, and I, I like that. <laughs> I like getting paid every couple of weeks, <laughs> yeah. whereas voiceover is, you know, it depends, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, if, if you get the gig or not, most of the successful voice people that I know who were in radio at some point left radio and made voiceover their full-time occupation because when you're on the air, you know, you develop a certain technique and a certain style, right? And that style you use, depending on you, how long your air shift is, you four to five hours a day, five or six days a week. It became, it was difficult for me that, to shed that when I got off the air to go into audition for commercial work because it's a whole different you're using you know a different muscle you're using certainly a different part of your brain and it was it was you know when you when you do one style you know four or five hours a day it's it was hard to just turn that switch off and turn on the selling cars guy or the or the soap right. guy or what you know whatever it was and um that's why i think most voice actors who have a, a career in radio left you know made a decision to leave radio and and concentrate fully on voice work and i'll give you an example a lot not a lot of times but it, it would happen you know occasionally where you would get a audition for a, a commercial and they wanted the sound they, they wanted you to sound like an fm disc jockey you know, for whatever reason, whatever the, the, the approach was, we want you to sound like an FM disc jockey. Well, I was an FM disc jockey. I never once booked one of those jobs. <laughs> you know, it would be like you, they're t telling you, you know, we want you to sound like this guy, Justin, who does these podcasts. Okay. If you can do that and, and you not booking that gig, that, that yeah. was me not booking the gig for the, the FM disc jockey. So, you know, I have mixed feelings about now the one exception, the one big glaring exception to, you know, radio helping me in my voice work was Halo. Because mm. Marty O'Donnell, who did the casting for the original for the, all the Bungie games for Halo, he did all the voice casting among other things. Well, Bungie at the time was was based in Chicago, where I was, where I was on the air, and he uh, used to listen to me on the air. Called me basically and said, you know, we wait. I actually I, I I had a small part in another game before Halo that he was involved in, uh, and then when Combat Evolved was in production, he you know, called again and said, you know, we'd like you to be the voice of uh, Master Chief, which at the time wasn't like some big deal, you know, like, yeah, okay, sure. Sounds good. Uh, <clears throat> but that's the one and obviously the biggest time that my radio career positively affected my voiceover career. <laughs> right. 
I'm saying that in my particular little life, the understatement of the century, because <laughs> it turned out to be, you know, the gig of a lifetime. But but uh, and, and it's interesting that, you know, two things happened there. Number one, it came from radio. And number two, I never auditioned for it. You know, Marty just said, yeah, you just do what you do. You're the guy. And, yeah. and that was it. Yeah, it's funny you say that, because when you initially came in the room, you had your video off. So mm. when you said something, I just kind of perked up a second. I was because I can notice talking to you for about 20 minutes. Master Chief is very close to your speaking voice. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. pretty much right on it. Yeah, it is. You know, I mean, it is. Yeah, it it, 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 it is and it isn't. I mean, there's a there's a particular, you know, he has a particular part of my brain. <laughs> Right. That, that he's in, you know, people always ask me, does anybody ever recognize you? Well, uh, you know, as the voice of master chief, well, you know, uh, there's no visual reference to that, of course. So there would only be, you know, an, an, uh, an audio reference and it, it happens hardly ever because in my, you know, regular world out there going to the grocery store or whatever, I don't think my voice sounds like master chief. So, uh, you know, I won't say it's never happened, but it's pretty, pretty rare. So unless you, my wife's with me and then she wants to say, do you know who this is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't blame her there. I'd probably, I'd, I'd have doing shows for everybody that walked hmm. by. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it gets a little weird though. I got to tell you. <laughs> so he said you were the guy initially from the start. So yeah. when you get in there, how much direction do you have? Are they just like, you know, well, in the beginning, you know, Marty and I would sit down and, and Joe Staden and, and um, because in, in for combat evolved, I didn't even have a visual reference. There was no picture of me or a picture of master chief to look at or anything like that. He, so Marty was just, described the, the character to me the, he described the halo universe and, and what that was all about and who and how master chief fit into that world and who he thought he was and so the direction i had was he said think of clint eastwood and when clint eastwood was doing the old spaghetti westerns uh and you know for a few dollars more and a fistful of dollars and all that he's you know see he's kind of like that kind of guy he doesn't say much but when he does speak somebody usually dies <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of you know, and he's a loner, you know, and he doesn't, uh, you, you know, so that, that was sort of my visual and character reference, you know, going in. So we just started working on it and Marty would push me in one direction or another, or pull me back here, or push me forward there until we got to, you know, exactly where, where he wanted it. And, you know, after that, the, you know, there probably wasn't that much direction, you know, hardcore direction after that. Uh, you know, sometimes I would try things that, that maybe would push a little too far and, and, you know, Marty would sort of bring me back a little bit, but, uh, you know, once we got the, the main character down in Halo one and certainly in Halo two, you know, we just ran with it from there. It's been about 20 years since yeah. combat evolved. Yeah. How, how has the evolution of the technology behind the game mm. changed the recording process for you? Well, never more evident than this year. I can tell you that for sure, because were it not for what can happen technically now, we would not be making Halo Infinite, uh, you know, and e even though it's, it's, you know, sort of late anyway, it'd be a hell of a lot later. <laughs> If it, if it wasn't for the technology, because once COVID hit, you know, my normal, you know, you go out to uh, either LA or Seattle to record and, you know, I'd li I lived in Chicago and now I live in Florida and, and, you know, so I'd fly out and 
for a few days and, you know, every month, month or so. Once COVID hit, that was out of the question. All the studios shut down, you know, everybody was working from home and they were able to, you know, I have a studio in my house. We were able to, you know, add the, the proper equipment so that, and I, I would defy anybody to be able to tell the difference between what was recorded in a, in a, in a professional sound studio in Seattle and what was recorded in my closet <laughs> in Florida. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, that was due to the technology that's available and the internet and all that. And, and back in 2001, uh, you know, that would not have been possible. So uh, it was, uh, you know, certainly, you know, huge advances from combat evolved until now just, and then, I mean, I'm not even talking about the visual stuff. That's like, <laughs> Yeah, you know, a whole nother deal. I think you're really going to be able to see, you know, some of what has happened technologically from a visual standpoint when Infinite finally, uh, you know, comes out later this year. Now, did you already have a recording studio at your house pre-pandemic? Yes, we had. Um, uh, my wife is also a voice actor, and mm. we we uh, actually she had a a small what they call a whisper room at her home. And once we got married, I I moved into to to her house. So we had that, you know, from the mid '90s. I think she's had that. And, um, so that was always there, uh, the, the, the big, and then when we moved to Florida, we, I, we just built another little studio, very little by the way, uh, <laughs> in the, in our, in our house there, but yeah. And it would be primarily used like for auditions and stuff. So you didn't have to always go into the, your agent's office to, to, uh, you know, record auditions and whatnot. So yeah, but we, uh, we've had it for quite some time. Yeah, I was going to ask if you feel like that's a necessity for an upcoming voice actor mm. now that things have changed Absolutely. almost permanently. Absolutely. It is, you know, it's it went, when my wife first had got her whisper room, that was a luxury. It was a rarity. Now it's a necessity. You can't work without it. Now, the good news is also from a tech, I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at, you know, what I can see of your rig, you know, where you are. You don't need the things that 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 you might have needed in years past like where i am right now as i said we're traveling so this is sort of the portable setup but it's not that much different than you know what we have at home i mean i have a laptop i got a preamp i got headphones i got a good mic and uh, you know that's it you know and then and then it's really just finding a a, a place that's suitable acoustically and you're 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 you know, good to go back in the old days uh, you know you had to have quite a bit more than that and e even with you know having the appropriate uh, software for for your computer i have a very simple inexpensive uh, software called twisted wave that does everything i need needed to do as far as voice recording whereas before the the standard was pro tools mm -hmm. which you know costs a lot of money and is very complicated oh, yeah. and and you know you know all the, and in, in most professional studios that's what you'll see but but for the purpose of voice recording uh, you know what i found is you have a good mic and a good preamp and you're good to go I'd agree with that. Now, did you ever have to do any motion capture for Chief? Never did motion capture. Uh, a fellow by the name of Bruce Thomas does the motion capture. He's done it since Halo 4, and he does a fabulous job at it. And um, he, and Jen, uh, Jen Taylor does the um, performance capture for Cortana and, uh, and Halsey. Uh, uh, but, uh, and she's done that since Guardians. 
So no, but I'm I'm I I do I'm strictly the voice guy. You said uh, I saw a previous interview of yours. You said initially there were zero plans to make any a second game after the first Halo. So as far as I knew, how long after the initial release did those plans change? Well, you know, I was not into the gaming world, right? And in all honesty, I'm still not a gamer. I mean, I, I've played Halo, but I'm so bad at it. You know, <laughs> Master Chief sucks at Halo. <laughs> I can tell you that's true. Uh, at least this guy, at least this Master That's the Chief. teaser for the episode. Master Chief sucks at Halo. <laughs> yeah, Find yeah. out more. <laughs> there <Yep>. you go. <laughs> but I'm sorry, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was just asking, when did you real? When did you guys? When oh. did they finally decide about the second game? Right. Okay. So we did the first game. We did Combat Evolved, and I think I did maybe two or three sessions on two or three different days, and then that was the end of it. And I, I really forgot about it, and because I wasn't in in that world, in the gaming world, I was unaware of the the sort of the hubbub that it was creating, and it wasn't until months later a good year later that uh, i was at a friend's house and um the, the the his kids were playing halo and i walked i was i remember walking through the room and i hadn't thought about it you know you know and it's just like any other voice gig most of the time if i go in and record something like a commercial or whatever and then 15 minutes after i'm done you ask me well what did you say can you give me a line from the script? I'd be like, no, <laughs> I have no idea what it was. It just leaves you. And that's the way it was with Halo. I didn't really think of anything about it. The kids are playing the game and I walked through the room and I, and I jogged my memory. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. you know, I voiced a character in that, in that game. And the kids, you know, were both playing and they were like, what, who? And I said, you know, I don't remember his name, um, but I, I think he was the like one of the main guys in the game. And they said, Master Chief? I said, yeah, yeah, it was Master Chief. Well, literally within 15, 20, 30 minutes, there's a line outside my friend's door of every kid in the neighborhood who had either an <laughs> Xbox or a copy of Combat Evolved who wanted it signed. And so it was a good year or longer that until I was aware that this was the phenomenon that it, it had become. So the rise of Halo sort of coincides with with the rise of the convention. So mm. what were your earlier experiences at convention when the game just started really to take off? Well, my very first appearance that I ever did for on behalf of Halo and Master Chief was that it wasn't a convention. It was a, it was a, I don't know if it was a GameStop, but it was like that, right? A, 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 a GameStop type place in Fort Lauderdale. And a guy called me up and said, would you come down and be there for our grand opening? And I was like, Okay, so wait a minute. You're asking me, it's November in Chicago, and you want me to come down to Fort Lauderdale, and you're going to pay my way. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm in. And all I got to do is show up at this at this uh, you know GameStop. So uh, yeah, so I do. And um, again, you know, really just not really having a, a, a total understanding of what was happening. But and and then I remember calling Marty and saying, "Is it is it okay if I if I do this?" And he says, "Yeah." He said, "He said I have." There's two directives. Don't dress up as the character. And oh, that that was his only one. He said, don't you don't don't dress up as the character. Not a problem. So and then my stipulation was also that I'm not I don't play the game. So don't ask me to play the game because I don't play. And, you know, the one thing that I thought was for somebody like me, I either have to be at the very least competent at it. Or not play it at all because if I play it badly, people are going to be oh wow, he doesn't know what he's doing, you know. So so I told these guys that the, those were my conditions, 
uh, well, they completely ignored the, the, the part about me not playing the game. And I get there and, and unbeknownst to me, they were having a contest, the winner of which was going to play me at Halo. I said, dude, I told you, I don't play the game. You know, I'm not any good. He said, don't worry about it. We got a setup. We got a, 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 a you know, whether well, I don't think there was any such thing as a professional gamer back in those days, but it would be like that. Somebody who's really, right. really good at Halo. He's going to be behind the curtain. We're going to put a controller in your hands. It's not hooked up. Just press buttons and stuff and everybody will think it's you. So this 11-year-old girl won the right to play me in Halo. So off we go. And this girl wipes the floor with both me and the pro guy who was behind the curtain. <laughs> Literally, it didn't last 15 seconds and the chief was dead. And you have never been more humble than have an 11 year old girl look at you like, really, dude, you're a master. You know, I come to find out, actually, I found out not too long ago that she went on to become a professional gamer. And I wish I knew her name, but I don't. Uh, I don't think she does it anymore, but but she was a pro gamer and I think made, made uh, you know, you know, quite a bit of money doing it. So at least I got beat by somebody who was really good. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But that was my first. And then, you know, and then nothing really after that. And I'm trying to think what my first convention was. Oh, I know what it was. Again, it was in Florida. And, it, you know, it's bizarre. Down in Miami. Oh, it was called Supercon. I think that was the name of the convention. Yeah. It was a pretty big deal. Yeah, Florida Supercon. We, Florida. Uh, I lived there for a few years. And that was like the the big one that wasn't Comic-Con was the Supercon. Yeah. 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 And, and it turned out it was aptly named because the guy conned me out of my... Uh, appearance fee and my hotel oh no <laughs> yeah that sounds right yeah i got con for sure uh, florida which was, yeah, yeah yeah boy florida like, man that sounds like florida florida man you know and uh in fact it soured me on doing them uh after that and uh you know i sort of didn't want to do it because it was like it seemed like it was a big ripoff for all everybody turned out that was a, uh, an aberration and and uh you know i started doing them not too many but by, you know two or three a year that kind of thing uh that's picked up a lot lately i've been doing a lot more and then, and then i got an offer to go to new zealand uh and that was kind of cool <laughs> so mm. But yes, and yeah, it was, um, can't think of the name of it. They've been doing them for years. Uh, one in New Zealand, one in Australia, um, a couple in Australia. So I've, yeah, I've been to New Zealand a few times, Australia a couple times. And, uh, uh, you, you know, so yeah, the whole convention thing just sort of took off at, you know, after that. And you're right. I think it, the, the, I don't, I don't think it was because of Halo, but the whole convention business of anime and pop culture started to grow, you know, right, you know, right in the early 2000s and, and has become a monster yeah. now. Now, have you been to any sense of the world's kind of started to reopen post COVID? No, uh, not yet, but I have some coming up. I'm going to do, there's a thing, it's not a convention. It's a, it's a public, I don't know what you'd call it. It's a public signing in Phoenix next week. It will be my first public appearance post pandemic. Uh, that'll be the first time I've, I've done anything. Yeah, I, I did a couple of digital conventions during the pandemic uh, that were kind of fun, but this will be the first actual in the flesh type of thing. And uh, I have another one uh, that'll be in Dallas in September, I want to say, and then one in uh, Orlando, actually, not 
too terribly far from where you guys are. I believe that's going to be in, yeah, that's in August. Fanboy, I think it's called. And um, so, yeah, we're back on the back on the convention trail. And yeah, there's quite a few, you know, either uh, I'm going to be in Denver, going to do the Denver, uh, what, what used to be called the Denver Comic-Con. It's been taken over by a different uh, outfit now, but I'm going to be doing that. And um but the first one would be this this uh, this deal we're going to do in, in uh, Phoenix next weekend, which I'm looking forward to. Awesome. Let's see if I can get the name of it. I should plug it properly. <laughs> <laughs> Just point me in the right direction and t- tell me where I'm going. <laughs> anyway, it's I'll, I'll get the details. Okay. I got gotcha. to give it a proper plug. All righty. I meant to ask you, Steve, we, I kind of glossed over it earlier. What, did you have any favorite DJs, any radio shows that you like listening mm. to growing up? Well, uh, it's funny. you sh- Yeah, when I was a kid, you know, it was it's sort of such a classic tale, but, you know, of, of putting the transistor radio under my pillow at night and listening to faraway stations. You know, because at night, you know, on an AM signal, it'll travel, you know, all across the country. And I was in Columbus, Ohio, which was where I grew up. I would listen to uh, WABC in New York. And then I'd listen to all the great top 40 stations in Chicago, WLS, WCFL, and and even could get some stations out west. So, you know, and Wolfman Jack, you know, I could get, you know, listen to him every once in a while. And that was a kick. But my favorite disc jockeys were really not anybody you would have ever heard of. It, You know, the local guy in my in my hometown in Columbus who played me, you know, this was the first time I ever heard Jethro Tull or Led Zeppelin or somebody like that, you know, and I thought, wow, okay, this is the coolest job in the world. Right. And this is what I want to do. And, uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's how that happened. But, you know, Scott Muni was a legendary uh, FM jock in New York, WNEW FM, and, you know, some folks like that who were, you know, some pretty big names. Now, in your career in radio, did you ever get the chance to interview any of your favorite musicians, any cool ones that stand out to you? Well, like quite a few, you know, uh, talking about Led Zeppelin, Page and Plant. I've, I've, I've interviewed on oh, several occasions, the shit. guys from Aerosmith. Yeah. All the guys from the Eagles. Just a yeah, couple people, I'm, you know. Yeah, just, you know, just yeah. Led Zeppelin. Yeah, yeah. just Led Zeppelin, <laughs> the Eagles. No, nobody real yeah. big or anything. No, no. Nobody big, but uh, yeah, but, but quite a few, I mean, you know, being out in LA afforded me that, you know, you know, to do. And, you know, also um, I did a show uh, on the, on the uh, called rock line that aired for many, many years. uh, And I did like, two or three years of it and it was a live 90 minute call-in show interview show and um that was broadcast all over the country and so i got to meet you know quite a few people you know doing that the allman brothers i did a lot and that was fantastic so uh, yeah yeah uh, you know i was it you know that was a that was a lot of fun that's really cool so is there a character that you would love the chance to voice now it doesn't have to be a <laughs> video game it could be cartoon movies Bugs Bunny, maybe, you know, is there a character that you like <laughs> a chance to Wow. I get that question a lot. You know, when you are as lucky as I was to be able to do a character like Master Chief, it doesn't afford you the opportunity to do a lot of other characters. Mm-hmm. You know, you get, you get kind of typecast and, you know, not, and I'm not complaining, don't get me wrong, but I, you know, I, I enjoy doing him. I, I think I'll tell you who I think would be a fun character to do. It'll never happen. It would be the Arbiter. <laughs> Oh yeah. But, but, uh, you know, the guy that does the Arbor has pretty much got that down. You know, Keith (laughs) David is as good as it gets. And, um, I remember I met him once at a convention in Atlanta, actually, I think it was Momocon. I'd always been a big fan of his even before, just as an actor, I've been a big fan. 
so I got to meet him and, and it was fun. You know, we, we were on a panel together and all that, but I was a total fanboy with him. <laughs> like, yeah. you, didn't, you didn't meet him at all during the recordings or anything? No, 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 huh. never. No. The, the, in fact, I didn't meet any of the people until um, Halo 4 was the first time Jen Taylor and I ever met period, oh. much less work together. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it was, it's just kind of the way voiceover is, you know, there's, especially for gaming, you know, sometimes it gets in the way if you're having two actors in the studio at the same time. Fortunately, uh, that changed when we did Halo 4 because the, the feeling was, and, and correctly so, that we were going to take those characters to a bit of a higher emotional territory than we had done before. And they thought it maybe it would, would, let's try to have these two people in the same room together and see what we get. And I mean, it, 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 it was the most fun I've ever had, you know, doing Halo was when I got to work with Jen in person and we had a blast over several days, you know, being able to do that, that character, you know, with her in the room. Most of the time, it's a solo profession. I mean, it's a solo venture. It's you and the engineer and a director and maybe the writers, maybe. And that's about it. We know that Halo Infinite is not announced yet and you can't, it's kind of hush mouth right now, but... Yeah, well, yes and no. I mean, have you seen the new uh, trailer? I have. I, I'm really happy with it. Uh, both the game pay, gameplay trailer and the uh, the story trailer. And you get to meet, you know, the new character, which is the weapon, which is, uh, you know, somebody, you, you know, new in the game. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's not as much as a secret <laughs> as it used to be. Yeah, they still haven't given us an exact uh, release date yet, but it, it's going to be, you know, they're calling a holiday 2021, which could be any time from November to December. How did this go around as Chief stand out to you compared to, you know, Halo's, all the other Halo's? <clears throat> well, it was, I really enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed any Halo experience that I've ever, I've ever had. You know, I, I, and I'm not even sure I can articulate why. It was a long time coming. And so, you know, the, the anticipation of it uh, was building and building and building. And I think when, when I finally got the call that, you know, we're going into production on this, it was, it was just like this huge, you know, sigh of relief. Plus I got to work with a guy by the name of Paul Crocker, who is, is a very integral part of, of Halo Infinite. And he and I worked together quite a bit uh, over the last couple of years in, in, in developing, uh, you know, the, the, the Halo Infinite story as it relates to Master Chief and I just loved working with the guy and he has such a love for the game that it just rubs off on you because I do too I mean I as, as I said I'm not really a gamer but I love the story and what attracted me in the first place to do this at all was the story and as as we, we started this conversation and I was a science fiction buff and man this played right into where I was yeah. at so yeah I, I I just completely fell in love with it and it, Paul made it just so much fun to do that and then we had some challenges you know with the whole COVID thing and uh, you, you know it, it made it more of a challenge to do and I think when that happens you are forced to up your game and I feel like he brought some things out of me that 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 I was really happy with it, it is all I, I don't want to overhype it but i just I, I was really happy with sort of what we were able to do and uh, and i hope that shows in the game when it finally comes out
up. So to date, what would you say is the best voice voice acting advice that you've received? Best voice acting uh, advice, I would say, you know, because people always ask about, you know, how do you get into voiceover and all that kind of stuff. And and I, I as as I sort of made clear, I wouldn't recommend, you know, radio necessarily to do that. But in, in terms of, of training, it's really about attitude. The, you know, the best of advice I ever heard was in terms of, you know, do you, do you go to school or, the, you know, is, is, is uh, getting acting training. I mean, regular stage acting type training and and ad lib stuff and it, it because so much of voiceover has to do with being able to create a character almost on the fly and and this had i mean obviously this doesn't happen with halo anymore we've been doing it 20 years but most of the time when you're doing commercial voiceover you don't know what you're gonna read until you the, you walk into the studio and you got about five minutes to look at the script and maybe you you know you'll get you know, some direction, but you got to be able to, to, to make decisions, you know, pretty quick. So a, any kind of, of training that, that affords you that ability to teaches you how to find a character quickly and, and inhabit that character, I, I think is, is, is it, it gives you a great advantage, if you will, you know, in terms of being able to uh, get the gig, which right. is what we're trying to do. Yeah. You know? From the outside looking in, it seems like there's a lot more improv than your average person would realize. Absolutely. No, that's exactly right. And that's the word I was struggling to, to get is improv. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can take, uh, you know, improv classes and I've, I've taken a few and it's, it's scary stuff, but it really, it makes you think on your feet and, and, uh, you know, create a character quickly. It has very little to do with the sound of your voice. And people talk about, you know, they say, well, you, you know, I got a, you know, people tell me I got a nice voice. And that's like, okay, well, that has nothing to do with it. What, what has to do with it is, is, is being able to create a character. And that character may have a weird voice or a wacky voice or whatever, but what you're trying to do is get the listener to figure out, you know, to to create in their minds who you are, uh, and, and and that's where improv work comes into play, and being able to, you know, grab those things quickly, and 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 as they say, take it off the page into the psyche of the person that, that that's listening to you. So, Steve, have you seen any good movies or TV shows during the lockdown? Boy, not a lot. I got to tell you. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that I have, but I really haven't. No, I mean, uh, you know, I, I guess that's my short answer. Have you? Have you seen anything that uh, has has lit you up? I got some. It depends on if you like horror movies or not. Yeah, I would watch The Wretched. That's a good movie. The Wretched? solid movie. Yep, The Wretched. Okay, it's not a trashy horror movie. It's a good yeah. solid horror movie you know you know i saw something last night that's been around i think for a little while called dark skies have you yeah. seen that yeah the ufo yeah. movie right uh yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Gotcha. yeah you know it's sort of a, it, it it's actually a clash of genres because it's sort of it's aliens and it's also haunted house stuff it, you know in a way but i thought it was pretty well done i just i just watched it literally a night or two ago mainly because i got an email from netflix saying this is going away and you better watch it <laughs> and i always do what netflix tells me to do right <laughs> but yeah no i had you know i i mean i'll be honest with you man nothing really comes to mind uh sadly i thought what was the one uh the real the real trippy time travel everything goes backwards movie what uh with what's his name the guy who did inception chris uh, uh christopher nolan yeah, yeah what was that that just came out <laughs> obviously it made a big impression yeah. on all of us yeah 
Yeah, I have no idea what that movie's called. Very weird. Yeah, I mean, you, you think 2001 was hard, hard to follow? <laughs> this one was like, what is going on here? Very strange. And, you know, and I like Christopher Nolan. I like a lot of the stuff that he's done, but but this was not one of them. But, you know, I hope that now that, that, that we're getting back into the theaters, you know, I, I really think, you know, the entertainment business in particular, you know, has taken a thumping and, and yeah. you know, go out and support your local movie house and your local live theater and your local music venues, you know, go out and support those people because because they, they, they've taken a hell of a hit and you don't want that stuff to go away you know there's there's something about public performance whether it's a shared experience in a movie house or at a concert hall or in a in a you know your local symphony orchestra or whatever i mean you know or or, or a live play there's something about a shared experience that that cannot be matched by watching it on your television in your own you just can't and I would hate, I don't think it's going to go away. I think it's, it's a, it's a part of sort of who we are as human beings. Mm -hmm. I think we have a innate desire to want to have that. So I don't think it's going to go away, but I, but you know, we do need to get out there and support the arts in a way like we've never done before. That's my advice to everybody listening. You know, exactly. Go spend your money, go spend your stimulus money on movie <laughs> theaters and concert halls. And, you know, we'll all be better off for it, you know? Yeah, the arts are definitely suffering right now. But one thing yeah. that I would say that the pandemic did shine a light on is drive-ins made a resurgence, which I'm How all about for. that. Yeah, I'm yeah. All for the drive-in. That's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, and I hope that doesn't go away. I think, uh, you know, you talk about your unique experiences. I think we all have some unique experiences <laughs> relating to the drive-in. <clears throat> yeah. Some of them maybe we can talk about and some of them maybe we can't. But so I'm not saying anything. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> So, Steve, uh, what do you have on the horizon? Where can folks find you? What's coming up that for you? Well, okay, the one I was trying to think of is actually not in Phoenix. It's in Tempe, which is right down the road. But uh, it's a uh, uh, at a place called Toy Temple. It's an autograph signing. I'm going to be doing that Saturday, uh, June 26th. I think if you go to toy.temple.com, there's some information on there. But uh, yeah, it's in it's in uh, Tempe, Arizona, on a week from Saturday, and uh, then we'll be doing uh, some conventions. We're going to get back out on the road, and I'm looking forward to it. It's it it it's been you know, I haven't done a really a live appearance in almost two years. So it's, uh, I'm really excited about, and I think, I think my first one is, and I'm, I mentioned Orlando, right? That's at the fanboy uh, convention on the 20th fanboy con in Orlando on the 20th of August. And then um, Dallas fan expo is uh, mid September. That's been uh, postponed twice now, but this time, you know, it, that looks like a, a definite uh, I think it's the 17th. Yeah. 17th of September. And there'll be some other things coming up. I'm going to do one in, in my old hometown of Columbus, Ohio, in November, and maybe even go overseas sometime, which I hope will happen. And uh, I think I mentioned Toronto. So uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to get back out. And then of course there is Halo Infinite, which is the piece de resistance, <laughs> as they say. At least I hope. I I'm so excited about this game coming out, and I and people have worked so hard and and been through some some adversity to to bring this out. I, I hope everybody gives it a chance, and and uh, you know whether it succeeds or fails, 
it won't be for lack of effort, that's for sure, because there's been a lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears that have been put into uh, uh, bringing this game out and and meeting everybody's expectations. So uh, we all got our fingers crossed, but um, the end of this year, uh, it will at long last uh, be out there, and I'm pretty excited about it. Well said, Steve. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. We're not going to keep you all afternoon, but before you go, I do have a little request mm-hmm. There we go. <laughs> That's going to make a lot of people happy. All right. Cool. Well, it was a blast talking to you guys. This was fun. Yes, yeah. sir. Steve, you have a great rest of your day, and I'll be in touch, my friend. When this okay, is yeah, uh, you, and you'll let me know when it's uh, when it's going to be up and all that stuff. Yes, sir. I'll send you an email. I'll look forward to it. All right, Justin, Mitch, take care, and uh, you guys stay cool. All right. As well, man. Bye-bye. Right. You too. Bye. See you. Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.